This Voice of the Arts podcast is made possible thanks to Carnegie Museum of Art. Listening to WQED's Voice of the Arts podcast, I'm Emily Bruner, and today we have professor and organist Dr. Anne Lebonsky and the director of music of the St. Paul Cathedral, Brian Gurley. Welcome both. Thank you, Emily. Thanks, Emily. You. So we're here to talk about this Sunday, uh, June 11th at 4 p.m. at St. Paul. Anne will be performing a concert, which is the first of the organ concert series at St. Paul. Brian, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yes, we're very delighted that Anne can play the first uh, of our series this year. The 2023 series begins this Sunday afternoon at 4 p.m. That's Sunday, June 11th. Um, this is the first of our headliner programs. Uh, we have a few headliners throughout the year, and then uh, in Sundays on Sundays in July and August, we have a summer series. Uh, that'll begin on July 9th, and those concerts are at 3.30 p.m., and they run for five consecutive Sundays. So, and like I said, is playing the first headliner series uh, this Sunday, June 11th. On July 9th, we have Ryan Croyle, who is a local uh, Pittsburgh organist. Uh, July 16th is Michael Bauer, who's director of music at the Cathedral of St. Agnes in Rockville Center, New York, um, a colleague of mine in the cathedral circuit. Um, July 23rd, another cathedral colleague, Ralph Holtzhauser, uh, who's the new director of music at St. Columba Cathedral in Youngstown, Ohio. And then July 30th, we have Chris Keenan, who's director of music at Mount Lebanon. Interestingly, he's a medical student at UPMC, oh. uh, so, but he uh, has prior training uh, as an organist. And then uh, the final uh, concert on the summer series is August 6th with John Tillian, who's assistant organist at Calvary Episcopal Church in Shadyside. Mm. And then we have a, a nice heavy fall uh, slate of organists. Uh, on Friday, September 8th, is Nick Capazzoli, who's director of music at Christ Church Episcopal Cathedral in Montreal, uh, but a native Pittsburgher. Oh. And then Jonathan Wessler, who's at uh, First Lutheran Church in Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, that He'll play on Sunday, October 8th at 7.30 p.m. I think I, maybe I skipped over Nicholas's date. That's uh, Friday, September 8th at 7.30 is Nick Capazzoli, Jonathan Wessler on Sunday, October 8th at 3.30. David Jonas, who's director of music at Holy Name Cathedral in Chicago, Illinois. He'll play on Tuesday, October 24th at 7.30 p.m. And then finally, uh, we have a December program. That's Sunday, December 3rd at 3.30 p.m. with our own Ken Danchik, who's associate organist at St. Paul Cathedral and uh, instructor of organ at the University of Pittsburgh. Um, so all of this information can be found on the cathedral's website at ghocatholics.org slash cathedral concert series. Oh, wonderful. That's a, that's a big slate you have mm -hmm. from now until uh, the, all the way until December. Yeah, it's an exciting program, and we're always uh, delighted to welcome such wonderful talent. Yeah, especially from all over New York, Ohio, and of course right here, too, with mm -hmm. Anne. Mm -hmm. um, and Anne, what are you going to be playing for this concert? Well, I'm going to be playing the same program that I played. I played three recitals in France, and uh, starting with uh, Francois Couperin, who was uh, 
kind of a part of a musical dynasty in Paris at Saint-Gervais Church. I'm playing his uh, two movements of his mass for the convents composed in 1690, and we're doing it the way it was actually done at that time. It's called an alternatum practice. So there are a series of versets, uh, the Kyrie, Kyrie, I played the first one, and then two graduate students uh, uh, are going to sing the chant, mm -hmm. and it's the chant is by, it's kind of a pseudo chant by Henri Dumont from his Royal Mass number six. So they, the same tune that you hear in the uh, organ music you hear is sung, and that goes back and forth between the organ and the voice for the Kyrie and the Gloria parts of that mass. So it's, it's really, it sounds really beautiful. And then that's followed by <coughs> Bach, a, a, a pièce d'orgue in G major. It's one of my favorite pieces. It's an early work. Uses a lot of the colors of the organ. I think you'll enjoy that. And then that's followed by a piece by uh, my teacher, Jean Anglais, uh, a miniature. And, uh, and then th that's, is, that is the last piece on the program is a piece that Langlais wrote for some of the organs, the Silverbrun organs in the um, Alsace region of France. And it's called A Sweet Baroque. There are seven movements. and. They're, they show really the beautiful colors of the St. Paul organ. Mm. Well, that sounds like a very wonderful program. Um, and you said you played it in France when you were in France just a little while ago? Yeah, I, we played it in Marmoutier, is a wonderful Silberman organ. And then I played it at several other, several other churches, too. Oh, wonderful. So it's a, almost an international program at this point. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome. Um, and the St. Paul, I know, has four different organs. Are you playing on the master organ? Yes, the one, the one in the choir loft. Gotcha. Yes, that's the big von Beckerat organ. Yeah, the Beckerat organ. That organ was installed in 1962. It has already quite a long history. I was remembering various wonderful organists who have played there, including my teacher, David Craighead, and Jean Anglais played there. Many people, uh, I mean, the, the series of organ recitals there is, is quite lengthy. Um, I remember in 1985, the Bach year I played, uh, I think it was the, when Don Fellows had just come to St. Paul and they invited me to play an all Bach program, oh, wow. which sounded wonderful on that organ. That's amazing. And, and what makes this organ so colorful and beautiful? Well, it has a lot of many rich colors. Mm. Um, it has four manuals, so there are four different sets of sounds that you can have on each, on each manual. And the acoustics in St. Paul are very, very reverberant. Mm -hmm. So the thing that's tricky is that what you hear at the console doesn't sound the same as what you hear downstairs. So last night, uh, Ken Danchik, who's been at the cathedral for 40 years, uh, he helped a lot, and he's going to turn my pages. And then one of the other graduate students, Jonathan Hoyt, was downstairs. And so I said, so how does this sound? And so they would say, oh, well, now you need a little more on the upper part, or you need a little less on the left hand. And so we were going back and forth with that. 
and I think we got a good balance, so I'm pretty pretty much ready to go. <laughs> well, that sounds wonderful. Um, such a, a collaborative nature in terms of trying to get the right sound out of it. It is tricky, yeah. yeah. But, but, but it's a challenge. And, you know, there are organists who don't pay any attention to that. <laughs> they just play, and whatever comes out, comes out. But I think it's, um, you have to put yourself in the, in the place of the listener to try to play so it will sound good for the listener. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Especially in such a reverberant hall like St. Yes. Paul's, because as you said, it's going to be so different by the time you get to the end of the hall versus where you're playing. Yeah, now some people give verbal program notes, and I thought about that, but then decided I would just write the notes and have them in the program so people could read them hmm. and instead of trying to to speak, because it's hard to speak in that in yeah, that place. Yeah, especially at the end. I mean, your words would probably be garbled by the time yes. somebody heard it. <laughs> Well, that's really awesome. And uh, and you said you're going to play um, your uh, Jean Anglais uh, piece at the end. Yes. Um, you're most famous for that. You've completed his set of works on the <laughs> organ. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I <laughs> I went back to my recordings because I to his Sweet Baroque, you know, and listened to how I had played it before <laughs> because I didn't really remember how it how it was, but. Mm. Yeah, you know, that I I recorded that. That was on the, the uh, first uh, three recordings that I made in at St. Peter's Cathedral in Erie. Oh wow! Yeah, in Erie. Yeah. yeah. Are there any recordings that you've like listened to and you're like, oh, I could play that differently? Oh, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, I think. I mean, every time I play a piece, it's different. I. Mm-hmm. I can't seem to do a do a piece the same way twice. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what makes listening to your recordings and uh, and your and you live so interesting because it's different every time. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I kind of wanted to ask you both kind of a, a fun question. I love asking organists this: um, What drew you to the organ as an instrument? <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, this is a funny story. <laughs> I uh, I started playing the piano when I was six years old. Mm. And then um, I grew up in Oyster Bay, Long Island, mm-hmm. and I was a member of the Triangle Girls, which is part of the uh, Masons, uh, the Demolay. They asked me to play for an, um, a ceremony of the Demolay, and I, I had never played an organ, and I thought, well, I could try. And I liked it. And then I thought, well, I think I'll take some lessons. And then (laughs) that's how it all started. Wow. And everything just went from there. It was one chance encounter with an organ. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And what about you, Brian? Uh, Well, I started uh, taking piano lessons, I think, when I was in second grade. Mm. And um, uh, even growing up in uh, parochial school at St. Bernadette's in Monroeville, um, I was involved in the children's choir and... um, uh, at that time, they had an electronic organ, but oh. by the time I was in high school, uh, the music director at the time had installed a pipe organ. Mm. And so uh, this was Mary Rita Rossetti. You know, she's still in the area, yeah. Um, and I remember we'd show up on Sundays and there'd be more pipes on the wall, which was always exciting because everybody was excited to hear it when it was finally installed. And I think uh, right around that same time, um, I took a trip to Spain with a Spanish class from Gateway, 
And uh, so we would go into these magnificent cathedrals and and hear, we'd happen to hear an organist practicing or we'd go to a mass and, and, and you, you, the organ just moves you mm-hmm. almost literally. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. And um, so my parents would tell the story that I would come back. I came back and, you know, when you had to develop all of the pictures from the film, the rolls of film, rolls and rolls of film. They said it seemed like over half of the pictures were of pipe organs. And so I came back and I said, I want to learn how to play the pipe organ. And so um, I, uh, I asked uh, Mrs. Rossetti if she taught organ lessons, but she put me in contact with a student at Duquesne at the time, Tom Smith. Oh, Tom and Smith. Uh, so yeah, Tom Smith was my first Tom organ teacher well. at Calvary Episcopal in Shadyside. Oh. Yeah, so that goes way back. Yeah, Tom, is, Tom is doing very well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> did you teach Tom? I did. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's such a wonderful story. I like asking people these stories because it's always interesting to see how the transition from piano to organ happens. Um, it's usually I some d- event or you meet an organ you love. <laughs> you know, it's really interesting. Uh, some people have wonderful piano techniques, but they have, a, have trouble making that transition to the organ. Mm. Then there are other people who are not that good on the piano who have such, they just have a, uh, the right flair for the organ. And of course, a lot of it has to do with the feet. Right. You know, you have to use your feet as well as your hands. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I can usually tell like, at the first lesson if, if, if that's going to work or not. <laughs> of course, I, I'm wrong many times, but uh, some people just have a natural flair for it and others don't. Mm. But even if they don't, they can still, they can still learn. Yeah, they can still learn. Yeah. It, it almost seems to me like a drummer would be a little bit more uh, observant and easier to do the feet part. <laughs> well, that's true. Or a harpist. You know, I was thinking of the other instruments oh, yeah. that require feet. Yeah, the harp also does. Mm-hmm. And, well, I really admire uh, a percussionist because uh, it's so difficult, mm-hmm. all the things that they have to do. Mm-hmm. And they have to cooperate so much from one to the other. Yeah. Well, you know, that kind of coordination of hands and feet, it doesn't always transfer to everything because I thought uh, it would be easy for me to learn how to drive a manual transmission. <laughs> and I almost stalled my friend's car you know, in grad school when I was trying to learn. And so it did not transfer to that for me. Oh, my God. He's probably like, oh, my God, you do the organ. <laughs> right. How could you not do a manual? Right, right. <laughs> yeah. That's okay. <laughs> well, um, Anne and Brian, is there anything else you would like to discuss? Well, I just wanted to say how this uh, von Beckerot organ is really a marvel. And there are there are a number of von Beckerot organs in this country, but this is, is this the largest? I think it's the one, one of, there's a five manual in Montreal at the oh, Oratory, right. St. Joseph Oratory. Yeah, no, but here the, in the States, oh, I, sure. th- I, I think, think it, this is the largest. The largest. And you have mm-hmm. to really look back at Paul Koch's uh, time as being in charge, and he had the vision to get that instrument, and that was a really wonderful thing. And then having these this recital series is a wonderful thing too for for our for Pittsburgh, and and then now it's wonderful that QED does so much to promote these uh, concerts. Yeah, we're very grateful, and uh, it, it, we're very proud of the uh, instrument at the cathedral. Um, Ken and I, uh, over the last two years, have um, 
done seasonal tours where we've taken, we've gone through all the different mass times and invited people up to the loft. And so lifelong parishioners, lifelong parishioners and visitors who have never been upstairs are able to come and see the organ up close and hear a little bit about how it works, how it's built, you know, why it's an important instrument, you know, of its time and um, how it has inspired a lot of other builders to set up shop, people who apprenticed with Beckerot in Germany. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it really is a famous instrument on many levels, and so we're delighted that we can have this uh, series to make it accessible to people. Yeah. And uh, I, I should also say that all of these concerts are completely free and open to the public. Mm-hmm. As we head into the warmer days of summer, the church is air-conditioned, mm-hmm. so it's quite comfortable, <laughs> and, um, and it helps the organ stay in better tune. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, no, it, this is a, it's an honor to continue this uh, series. So, yeah. It's an honor to, to play <laughs> to play there. Well, that's amazing, and good luck with your concert this Sunday. I hope it goes really well. Thank, Thank you for your time, Emily. Thank you, Thank Emily. This Voice of the Arts podcast is made possible thanks to the Carnegie Museum of Art.